Many years he walked in darkness as he groped along the streets with his hands stretched out for pennies or for just a bite to eat. It's the story of the blind man who met Jesus on his way and with the master's touch the man looked up as the scoffers heard him say somebody touch me somebody touch me I was blind but praise his name One day he touched the crippled man and made him walk again. And the master saw with pleasure he had labored not in vain. It's the story of that crippled man. I once was bound by sin, but since the Master came, oh, praise His name, thank God I now can say, somebody touch me, somebody touch me, I was blind, but praise His name. I now can see I was in darkness when Jesus found me but since he touched me I now am free but since he touched me thank God, I'm free. Well, amen. Aren't you glad he touched you? Amen. amen. And if you haven't been touched by the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be. You absolutely need to be. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 today. Again, so good to have each and every one of you with us this morning. And uh, what a beautiful, beautiful, sunny Sunday morning. It was cool out there this morning. Wow, it's so refreshing as you uh, as I came in this morning, and I'm sure you enjoyed it as well. Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> We're going to read the entire chapter, and it is somewhat lengthy compared to our normal reading, but I do believe that it is imperative and important because it sets the stage and helps us to really grasp what's taking place here. So beginning in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, I'll read aloud. You read silently with me. We read, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. 
He set it up in the plain of Dura and in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes and the governors and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all uh, kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall, that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. I wonder if we have any question as to what kind of instruments they used. <clears throat> Verse 11, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews, whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, Flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music. Ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. The form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their clothes, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished, and rose up in haste and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their heads singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. In 606 B.C., 606 years before Christ ever graced this earth, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, besieged Jerusalem. His strategy of conquest included the integration of the Israelites into his culture, into his country. One of the steps that he employed was to bring young Israelites, those Israelites that showed promise and potential, those that were princes or of any stature at all in Jerusalem or in Israel at the time, to bring them to Babylon where they could be indoctrinated in the Chaldean culture. Daniel and his three friends were among those that were removed from their homeland and ultimately brought to Babylon. By chapter 3, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. At this point, they are, in essence, ruling. At what level? 100% we're not sure, but without doubt, they had influence. And this is where we enter our particular chapter or story, if you will. And when I say story, be careful because it's really an account because it's not fake, it's not false, and it's not made up. It literally happened. Nebuchadnezzar had erected a 90-foot statue. And most Bible scholars and many believe that that particular statue took on the visage of that particular man, that it actually looked or appeared to be him in the face. And there on that 90-foot statue that was 9 feet wide, when the music played, all were to bow before it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow. Now, I don't know where Daniel is. I have no idea. He's not mentioned here, so maybe he was on a trip representing Babylon. I don't know 
Maybe he was in some far-off country as a liaison to the king. I don't know. But what I do know is that there are three young men here who would not bow the knee when the music played. We see their dilemma in Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. Now, if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, good, all right, we've settled it, it's over with, done. I'm going to give you a chance, fellas. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make right on the wrong. You've been brought here because you weren't bowing. You've been brought here because you've been in rebellion. You've been brought here because you're not willing to bow the knee to my image or to this particular statue. But if you do bow, then, well, okay, go back to your business. But if ye worship not, and by the way, before we say, well, I just don't understand why they wouldn't just bow. So big deal. They're not really worshiping it. Uh, notice what he said. But if ye worship not. What, what's he equating worship with? Bowing the knee. So if they would have bowed the knee, at least in the estimation of the king and all of those in Babylon, they would have conceded worship. It doesn't matter what you think is in your heart. It's what you do that matters. Because, see, it's not just about you and God. It's about the world around us, too. Notice he says again, But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And there are no, no appeals here. There's no time to sit in jail and think about it. The same hour you're going to be cast into a fiery furnace, it's going to be swift punishment, fellas. So make up your mind because your decision will determine your destination. And there's no God, including yours, that's going to deliver you out of my hands. We see their dilemma. We also note their decision in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answering said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They said, we're not going to bow. We're not going to do it. We're not going to yield to your image. We're not going to bow to a, a, an idol. We're not going to disgrace or disgust or, or discourage our God in any way. We are going to stand and we are not going to bow. We see their dilemma, their decision, but notice their determination. Daniel chapter 3, notice verse 18. Again, verse 17 preempts it, but he says, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods. I want to draw your attention to three simple words. But if not. But if not. You see those three words? 
Again, he says to him, to the king, listen, God, we, I mean, king, we are not careful to answer thee. We don't have to think about this. We don't have to consider it. We don't have to have a meeting about this. The three of us have already made up our minds. We've already committed ourselves. We've already dedicated ourselves. We've already separated ourselves. We do not need to discuss the future. We don't have to decide whether or not we're going to bow or not. We've already made that decision. We're not careful to answer thee. And he will deliver us. He's able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, okay? But if not, what are they saying? Well, they're saying, it seems to me they're saying, but either way, whether or not we go into that fire or not, it doesn't matter to us. If he chooses to bring us through the fire or if he chooses to take us and remove us from thy hand, it doesn't matter. Whether we die in that fire or we don't, it doesn't really matter. But if not, no matter what, we're not going to bow. They were determined. But if not, see, the fiery furnace can easily represent a number of trials that you and I will face along life's journey. These particular saints had found themselves in a very serious dilemma, confronted with a major decision, and yet they stood undaunted and unmoved. They were determined to be faithful and loyal to the one and only true God. Let me ask you, what is your price? What's my price? I mean, can we be bought or brought to our knees? Can we ultimately bow to the idols of this world? Will we, could we possibly be tricked, deceived? Could we be forced? Could we be lured into bowing our knee to giving homage to other gods rather than our own even? I mean, is there any circumstance that could cause us to retreat from our professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there any situation that might tempt us to reject God's sovereignty in our life? I mean, is there any heartache, loss, or disappointment that could cause us to cash in our faith and turn our back on the Lord Jesus? Is there any scenario that might incite bitterness in our hearts toward God Himself? These three young men had determined to stand with the Lord no matter the cost. No matter how high the price, they would not bow. They said, but if not. I like those three words. I think of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is understandably one of the most prolific characters in the entire Word of God. And his contribution to the kingdom of God and to humanity is without exception. I mean, it is unparalleled. Even Paul would be tested. Even Paul would be tried over and over and over again. In 2 Corinthians, we find that this pillar of the faith, he was afflicted and some would consider that affliction and some have said that affliction was a physical ailment. Some have said it was a possibly a mental ailment. Either way, he had an affliction. And the Bible tells us over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, that the apostle Paul went to God asking God to relieve him of this Thorn in the flesh. And lest I should be exalted, turn if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. 
Paul the Apostle, facing a very difficult time in his life, will go down to God and beg the Lord to remove this obstacle that stood in his way, to remove this thorn that was in his flesh that afflicted him and that, that hindered or so-called hindered him in his own mind at the work of God even. Chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, 2 Corinthians, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Three times, he says, I went to the Lord. Three times I begged God that it might depart from me. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul responds by saying, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what Paul's saying? Lord, it appears to me that I could serve you better without this affliction. It seems to me that I could be more effective as a servant of God without this thorn in the flesh. Oh God, remove this thorn. Oh God, remove this obstacle. Oh God, remove this physical ailment, this mental anguish. Oh God, remove it. But if not, I'm still going to serve you. But if not, I'm still going to give my best to you. But if not, I'm still going to love you. And I'm still going to adore you. And I'm still going to embrace you. And I'm still going to read my Bible. I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to go to God's house. I'm still going to speak the words of truth. I'm still going to lift you up, elevate you, and magnify you. Paul was tempted to cave to compromise, to conform to those around him just like you and I are each and every day of our life. But like those three Hebrew children, he said, Lord, please deliver me, deliver me. But if not, it's okay, Lord. Ain't going to change where I stand with you. I think of Joseph. He was his father's favorite, you know. But because he was his father's favorite, it sure appears that his other ten brothers at the time, someone says he had eleven brothers, not yet. His other ten brothers hated him for it. I mean, he was his father's prized possession. But we see that Joseph would ultimately be sold into slavery by his ten envious brothers. Maybe you had a brother or sister that seemed to hate you. He had ten of them. You're still doing better. Like they always say, it could always be worse. (laughs) Sometimes it don't seem that way. But there's a lot of truth to it. So they all gang up on him one day. They sell him into slavery. Joseph goes from being his father's prized to a pit. From a pit, he goes to Potiphar's house. From Potiphar's house, he goes to a prison. It would be a journey that lasted almost 20 years. 
I mean, this same young man who had had visions, who God had given him insight, and he saw himself elevated. He saw himself standing above even his own brethren, ruling and reigning somehow, some way, even over mom and dad. He knew that God had something special for him. He knew that God had something great on his behalf, but he couldn't pinpoint. He couldn't put his finger on it. And next thing he knows, he's in a pit. Next thing he knows, he's in Potiphar's house. Next thing he knows, finally he's in a prison and there he's left to rot. May I say to you that I'm sure many a time Joseph went to the God of heaven and begged God, God, what are you doing? Oh God, where are you at? Oh God, deliver me out of this prison. Oh God, deliver and vindicate me from that false accusation that was made oh god do a miracle free me but if not i'm all yours still but if not god i've already made up my mind me and you's okay it's going to be all right between us I'm not going to let a root of bitterness grow in my heart. I'm not going to allow myself to doubt your existence. I'm not going to permit myself to think for a minute that you've left me and forsaken me. Oh, no! But if not, I'm still there for you. And I know you're there for me. How can you and I stand and shout as these three Hebrew children did? But if not. How can we do that? Now, how are we going to get that done? I'm going to give you three ways, three thoughts. Because, you know, each and every one of us, if we haven't, we're going to go through some really difficult times. Whether it's the world putting pressure on us to yield, to bend, to bow, whether it's a hurt, a heartache, a separation, whether it's terminal disease or whether it's some kind of horrible medical problem, we're going to beg God at some point for God to do some miracle in our life or in the lives of those that we love. And if He chooses not to, if we're not careful, we're going to say, forget it. You obviously don't care. You're obviously not as big as you claim to be in the Word of God. You obviously just don't have my best interest at heart here. Fine. Whatever, God. I'm done with you. You say that never happened. Let me tell you what. There have been better men and women than you and I that have ended up there. So how can we, like these three Hebrew children, say, but if not, I'm begging you, Lord. We're crying out to you, God. We want you to deliver us. We want you to heal us. We want you to help us. We want you to protect us. We want you to provide for us. We want you to meet our every need. We want you to help our family, our friends, our loved ones. But if not, if it don't work out the way we think it should, it'll be all right. We're okay with it. And we're good with you still. How do we come to that place? I'm going to give you three simple thoughts and literally very quickly too. So let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd help us in these next few minutes. Be glorified in what's said and done. May our hearts be stirred and may we, Father, truly come to the conclusion like the three Hebrew children did. But if not, 
we're still in your corner. We still love you. We're still going to serve you. We're still going to give our praise to you. We're still going to believe that you are still that good God that saved our soul, cleansed us from sin, and gave us a home in heaven. Oh, God, help us. Help us to be, but if not, Christians. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, if you're going to be that kind of Christian that can say, but if not, number one, you have to remember who God is. You always have to remember who God is. It is is in deep, folks. This is not deep. But we have to remember who God is. You know who God is? He is creator. Do you realize that you and I have no life, we have no breath, we have no future without God? Do you realize there's not one thing that you do possess or have possessed or have enjoyed that is not a direct result of God's goodness in your life? Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. We see here that the Lord Jesus Christ is creator. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, we read, For by Him, if you go back a verse or two, you recognize that He's referring to Jesus Christ. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. He's the creator. He says, but I don't like how he's treating me. I don't like what he's allowing in my life. I don't like what he's doing to my family. I don't agree with it. Be careful. You have to remember who God is. He's the creator. I mean, do we really believe that we have a right to question his sovereignty? He's the creator. We're the creature, the created. I mean, are we his equal? Therefore entitled to choose what's best for us? I mean, how many parents in the room that have smaller, younger children believe that their children are in a perfect position to choose what they eat and where they will go and what they will do? I mean, how many children, younger children in the room, always make the right choice if left on their own to make those decisions? That's a dumb question, isn't it? There's not a kid in the room that isn't going to fill up on sugar, that isn't going to drink 10,000 pops, that isn't going to eat food till they puke. I mean, they're just going to go crazy if left on their own. There's no, no red-blooded American boy is going to take a bath till he's at least 13. You know what I mean? I mean, you've got to brush your teeth. Are you crazy? Get in there and brush your teeth, son. I mean, come on, there's no kid. And you know what? You know what the Bible calls us? The children of God. I mean, he's the creator. You say, listen, son, I know you don't realize it now, but dad knows something. Mom knows something. Just do what you're told. Get out of here. And you don't know something? You do know. And you know what? They don't. They don't get it yet. 
May I say that, sadly enough, the reality is, is that we really don't get it either. See, God is creator. He sees the big picture. He sees from beginning to end. He knows everything. You and I, we can't even get the temporal decisions right. We still mess our finances up. And we still mess relationships up. And we still make a a mess out of this situation and that situation. And, oh, And now we want to make eternal decisions? All I'm saying is is that if we want to be the kind of Christian that looks at our circumstance, our situation, our trials and our tribulations and says, God, here, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm, I'm asking you, but if not, it's okay. I don't have to understand everything. It's all right if I perish. It's all right if it ends all wrong in my mind. Because, Lord, you're the creator. Not only remember who God is, but number two, remember what God did. Look, if you will, in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. The Lord Jesus Christ has lived his life on earth. He's preparing to take his place on Calvary. We find him in a garden. The Bible tells us in Luke 22, 39 through 42, and he came out and he went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. Verse 40. Luke chapter 22. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeling down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. But if not, do you see it? Nevertheless, but if not, that's what he's really saying. Not my will, but thine be done. Do you realize what Jesus Christ did for you and I? If you say, yeah, he hung on the cross. Oh, he he allowed the the thorns to be placed on his head and he allowed his beard to be plucked out. He permitted mankind to mock and make fun of him and to hang him naked on an old rugged cross where they drove the nails into his hands and his feet and there he suffered, bled and died. You're right, he did do that. But may I say, that's not the cup he's talking about. And that's an awful thing to die on a cross. But may I say the thing that's truly affected Jesus Christ, the one thing that he dreaded more than anything else, wasn't that the nails would be driven in his hands, wasn't that they'd be driven in his feet, not that he'd be lifted up before heaven and earth. That wasn't what his greatest concern was. His greatest concern was that he'd be separated from his father because he bore the sin of the world in his own body on the tree. And literally God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, bore your sin in His own body on the tree. 
that we being dead to sin can be alive unto him now. Listen to me today, friend. Jesus Christ didn't just pain, uh, suffer and bleed for you. Jesus Christ was separated from the only God of heaven and he literally knew what it was to be on his own. He, Jesus, did all that for you because he loves you that much. If we're going to be the kind of Christian that can say, God, this is hurting. Oh, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through. Oh, God, deliver me. Oh, God, deliver my family. Oh, God. But if not, I'm still going to serve you and love you. I'm still going to praise your name. I'm still going to be drawn to you and draw nigh to you and love you and embrace you. And We're going to be that kind of believer and we have to remember who God is, and we have to remember what God did. Finally, we have to remember what God is doing. We have to remember what God is doing. Look, if you will, in Jeremiah chapter 18, would you please? Jeremiah chapter 18. It's not an easy thing to pray and beg God to do something only to hear or not to hear Him say no. It's not easy to watch loved ones, friends, and family members suffer, to suffer ourselves and to deal with this world in which we live, whether it's a, an apostate church or whether it's a, a dictatorship in a country, whether it's people being genocide for their faith, or whether it's simply begging God to deliver us out of a hurt, a heartache, a trial, or tribulation, in either way, we are tempted to bow. These three Hebrew children said, hey, he'll deliver us. He'll, he'll deliver us either out of your hands or through your hands. One way or the other, he'll deliver us. He'll take away the fire even if he has to. But if not, if we die in the midst of that thing, if we go into that fire and perish, we are not going to bow. No matter what. We're still going to put God first. We're still going to exalt the Lord. We're still going to stand for Jesus Christ. You've got to remember what God's doing. Look at what we see here, the potter, the clay. Look at Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. There will I cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Obviously, there was a piece of stone, or there was an air bubble, or there was something there that made this particular piece of clay marred. The potter stuck a lump there on that wheel, and as he began to mold it and shape it and make it, he began to create what he had seen in his mind and now all of a sudden it began to take shape and form there on his wheel. But he saw something that he didn't like. He saw something that had to be fixed. He saw something that would have only marred it and would have only made it unsellable, would have made it unbeautiful to the world. See, a potter makes things for the purpose of selling them. 
Potter makes things to look nice and lovely and ultimately to be showcased. May I say that you and I are simply clay in the potter's hands. And God is molding and making us so that He can showcase us before the world. And there are times, unfortunately, that the clay is marred. And that God has to start over again. And sometimes He has to literally crush and smash and start all fresh. That's a painful thing. But God is molding. God is making so that He can showcase His people, His children. Notice He goes on to say, Verse 4, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. That was true with the nation, and I say it's true in your life and in mine. Matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. He says in Romans chapter 8 verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. I say that God's goal may be different than our goal. Maybe that's where the breakdown is. Maybe that's where we struggle with God, God's providential hand in our life. Maybe that's why we have such a difficult time accepting His will and His ways and His purpose and plan because it means <laughs> that we have to be willing to be conformed to His image, make that our goal, not simply our own personal comfort. See, it's hard to say to the Lord, do whatever you have to to make me what pleases you. Do whatever you have to to allow me to be showcased in a way that brings glory to you. Boy, that's a tough pill to swallow. But that's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. He said, God, it doesn't matter. But if not, Okay, it's okay with us. Because our God is doing something bigger than us. Our God is going to show himself real. Whether we are dead or whether we are alive doesn't really matter a whole lot in the scheme of things. What matters is that he is glorified. So you say, what is it that I have to do to be the kind, to be a but if not Christian? To be the kind of Christian that will not allow him or herself to reject God, to separate themselves from God, to be bitter toward God because of a circumstance, a situation. To be able like those three Hebrew children, to be like Paul the Apostle, to be like Joseph of old and be able to say, but if not. To be like Christ himself and say, Oh God, oh God, let this cup pass. But if not, not my will but thine be done. What do we have to do? Well, 
we said, number one, remember who God is. Number two, remember what God did. And number three, remember what God is doing. He's shaping and he's molding and he's making us into that wonderful picture. In conclusion, let me say simply this. Get to know him. Get to know him. The Lord Jesus Christ, that is. Get to know him. See, the more we know him, the greater our confidence confidence in him will be. Years ago, my dad worked for Goodyear. And he's retired from there now, but at the time, he was just an employee. He was working for Goodyear, and there was a contract dispute that led to a strike. I knew that things were not normal around the O'Donnell house. But I never stayed up at night worrying. I didn't know whether my dad would have a job or not the next day. Didn't know. I wasn't sure whether they would settle sooner or later. I didn't have a clue how the strike would end up even. But what I did know was my dad. I knew my dad. See, I knew he loved me, and I knew he was concerned about me, and I I had watched him over the years as he supplied my every need, as he cared for my family and I. I may not have known much about Goodyear, or or even whether my dad would have a job or not, but I, I may not have known how the bills even were going to be paid, or where the next meal would come from. But what I did know, was my father. See, my father was trustworthy. My father was dependable. My father was responsible. And no matter what the circumstances, I was sure that he could be trusted with the situation and with my best interest. I knew that. The three Hebrew children faced a furious king a fiery furnace, and a frightful decision. And yet they said, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. But if not, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You know what they were saying? Our God is trustworthy. whether He does things according to our will, whether He answers our prayer according to our request, it's not the issue. The fact is is that He is trustworthy. He is dependable. He is responsible. And I trust Him with my life. And may I say today, that if we're going to be the kind of Christian that can say, but if not, we have to believe that our God is trustworthy, that He's dependable, and that He is responsible. And to do that, you have to know Him. That's where our doubts 
come from? It's when we don't know him like he is and for who he is. Well, we have to strive to know the word and we have to strive to know the God of this Bible, not the God that we have perceived and conceived in our own mind, but literally the God of this book. When we know him like that, like I knew my dad, then we'll be able to say, oh God, please meet our needs. Daddy, please don't let me go hungry. Daddy, I don't know why. Why are we on strike? And why is this happening? And why is that happening? Oh, why is that happening, Father? I'm just going to trust you in it, though. Let's not be a Christian that finds ourselves in a place where we turn our back on God because he didn't do things the way we wanted it done. Let's be the Christian that we see in the Word of God that says, but if not, but if not, it's okay with me, Lord, because I know who you are. And I know what you're trying to do in my life. And I know what you're doing in this world. And all I want is you to be exalted and magnified, oh God. But if not, I'm okay with it. Father, we come to you.